Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the VR1 NFT Podcast. And I'm the host. This is where we live. It's going to be a sad one, y'all, so bear with me. Go Green Ranger forever. Um... I'm fucking crushed. That's the only way I can put it. I'm fucking destroyed right now. So, I just want to share this moment with y'all, man. This shit is fucking with me on all psychological levels right now. And I have a little bit of a background music for you guys, um, I wanted this to be fresh, I'm gonna go online and just do some more research while I'm on on the podcast with you guys, I'm gonna go live later on my Instagram, I'm gonna go live on my LinkedIn, I'm gonna go fucking live on my Twitter, um, on my social media, I'm going to do a live, a video live, but it's early in the morning, I'm pretty much starting my day, and first thing on my mind, you know, is, um, is this tragedy, you know, so I'm kind of surfing the web, looking for the right background music so I could just flow, man, because I got a lot on my mind, man, you know, (sighs) man, I cried, I cried, I'm not a person to, I guess, cry for celebrities, you know, I'd rather cry for a celebrity in life if, if they really touched my soul. Um, I have to think back possibly to Prince passing away or Michael Jackson. You know, these are like, these are my fucking heroes, man. And, um, I'm just fucked up about it. That's it. That's the best way I could put it. Like, I reflected on my whole life yesterday. I had a deep conversation with my wife. And um, it's kind of like a nuclear atom and a nuclear bomb, right? Like, you never know how much energy something has until it's released. And for me, this is it's one of those things, you know. I don't even want to have a drink this morning if it's not the perfect storm, you know. Put a little background music. Um, I ask for you guys to forgive me because this is going to be very hard. But I'm going to express what I need to express. Because I tried yesterday and I really couldn't. So I said, alright, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to the next day. Give me one second.
much needed cold water. I'm like parched. Like in Sahara Desert. Um, where can I start? Where can I start? Um, I don't know where to start. to start I don't know exactly what to say I just know that I need to say something I know that I need to you know connect you know I need to connect to go deep, deeper than, than I want to normally go, but I really feel like, like, like I don't have a choice, you know, I really feel like this is going to be important for so many people out there in the fucking universe, please connect with my mind, my body, and my soul, and my spirit, temporarily, you know, I know we're all busy, we got shit to do. I know that after I express all of this, I got to go back to fucking business mode. And um, I guess this is part of the process because none of this shit makes sense to me. None of it makes sense. What I'm about to express is going to be a psychological journey and it's not going to be for the faint of heart because... I'm going to get back to my business shit and I'm going to brush this off my shoulders like nothing happened. And that's the problem. We, we kind of compartmentalize what is convenient. You know, we're going to talk about everything. Fame, fortune, power, success, status, recognition. And this fucking fine dance that we as public figures dance because you guys have to understand I'm an artist you know like I was telling my wife yesterday I've been famous all my life not famous how you may perceive it or he or she may perceive it or they or them may perceive it but like in reality in real life like overseas I never lost my career I never stopped doing music I never nothing ever stopped for me so, like, I could have a regular job and people recognize me all the time, every single day, even if it's in the smallest fashion, even if it's one or two people and then they tell 20 or 30 people and then they tell two or 300 people. Like, the shit about fame is that you can't stop that shit. And it's like, I see how frustrating it is trying to explain it but once you have real estate in somebody's mind, that real estate can never be sold. It may diminish in size. It may increase in size. But that real estate is permanent. When you, when you touch somebody's soul, somebody's spirit, somebody's essence, no amount of money 
can never change that. You see, I have thousands of songs, thousands of singles, hundreds of albums and EPs, etc. All it takes is for one song to connect, where there's a single bar, which is a single thought, one verse, one bridge, one hook, one chorus, or just one single. It doesn't matter. Once that song connects, it's eternal. It's forever. It's forever a reference point, right? And whoever is in that state of mind or in that frequency of living, meaning like what their perspective is, they're always going to be connected to to that thought or, or whatever I may have conveyed artistically or creatively throughout a song. So how do I start? I understand this dance because I dance it every day. And I can't explain it, but I have to explain it because how else would you guys know? Part of it is kind of the is the guilt of believing in a vision or a dream and then growing old enough to realize that it's completely different. Reality is different from our own perspective. Reality is honest, is brutally honest. And again, I beg of you to have patience with me in everything that I'm going to convey because I want to put it all on the table today. You know, today is that day that I don't want to hold anything back and... I have nothing to lose by putting everything on the table because sometimes you have to purge. You have to distill all these thoughts and emotions and feelings, etc., etc. And this is the way that I live my life. This is the way that I find resonance with my existence that other people could relate. You know, when you start your journey as an artist and this goes for all public figures it could be an actor actress athlete you know in so many different ways somebody that is a public figure and of the public in the beginning you have like the the dreaming phase you know you may be in a situation and because of that situation, you create art, all kinds of art, whatever it is. You play an instrument, you do music, you do film, you do photography, you, you perform live on a stage, you do opera, you do Broadway, you do drama, you draw, you, this, again, the creative arts. So you're expressing to liberate free or to reach or attain freedom from that pain. And you have this beautiful dream of the industry, the business side of it. It's literally a call to freedom. It's a call to the pursuit of happiness. It's the call to the pursuit of your dreams, right? And... 
you present it to society and society welcomes it, you know. Most artists start very young. Some people start later in life. But because I started so young, I remember how people gravitated towards me. It's because they had broken dreams. They had goals that they wanted to achieve. And for whatever reason, I represented the completion. Meaning, they felt that maybe they couldn't have reached their dream. But if I reach my dream, it will complete it for them. A lot of the support came from that because people were afraid to to go all in, you know, to pursue what they really love. And because it represented that growth, which is what it truly is, and that liberation, that self-proclamation that, you know, I'm going to go for my dreams and I'm not going to give up. There were people happy to just be from my neighborhood, to know that, you know what? I gave this kid a pair of socks for Christmas one year. You know, at a moment that this kid was hungry, I offered him a plate of food. You know, at a moment that he was thirsty, I gave him a cup of water. Or I remember the day I helped him cross the street as a kid. I remember when he threw his first baseball, his first football, etc. And, you know, things of, of... of that nature, you know. As a kid, you know, I really grew up without anything. And the little that I had, I really, really cherished it. I Like, I really appreciated it. Um, And I'm going to peel back some of the layers. So, again, I warn you guys, we're going deep. Um, Part of success was removing some of the scars that poverty had left on me. I'll give you two examples. I used to say to myself, the day that I can afford to drink Starbucks every morning and further beyond with my family, I made it. Simple goal, right? Easily attainable. It took for me to become a multi-millionaire to be able to to suffice that. It was a real goal. It's something that God really gave me the opportunity to do. Because I remember being so poor that I couldn't afford a $7 cup of coffee. Which is what it is today. Me having a family, you know, you multiply that times X amount of people. It's very expensive. But I remember not having that much money for myself I remember blocking off the hunger or the anxiety to let's say have some coffee in the morning knowing I couldn't afford it knowing I couldn't afford a thermos where I could make some at home and take it with me you know it was a a luxury growing up where I grew up That's the first example of what I'm trying to convey, which is not going to come out perfectly, but I don't give a fuck because I'm warning you that it's not going to come out. It's going to be abstract as the fuck. (sighs) When I became successful, 
I was young. And it's something that I still deal with right now. For so many years, I didn't realize how fast I used to eat. And it's because eating was such a, a important thing in my house. You know, I was lucky if I had one meal a day. You know? And I was watching a documentary yesterday with my family about El Duque. And they spoke about a few of the things that he bought when he got his, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And one of the things that they spoke about, I could relate to immediately. Because they said that he ate so much junk food. But see, junk food to somebody in America or Europe is junk food. Junk food to somebody from my village or from my countries, you know, we're talking third world countries. Junk food to them is like fast food, you know, flavors, you know, McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Burger and stuff like that. I relate to that 100% because to this day, I battle that. You know, because it's the ultimate comfort food. I never knew that there was food that was labeled comfort food because that's exactly what it is. It makes you feel like like you're a baby and you're being fed by your your loving parents, you know. And as a byproduct of that, when I became very successful... You know, I would, I would still eat so fast, you know, where people had to bring it to my attention, like, you know, you have to breathe. You're eating like the food is going to go away. You're eating like, um, like you can't afford it, like, like it's going to go to waste, like you, you, you're successful. You know, you can eat, and if you want more, you can get more. There is more available. But it just goes to show you the scars. These are the scars of poverty. You know, when you become successful, you get things like health insurance. Right? Because you kind of need it. But the reality is, you don't even use it because you're so used to, you know, if I feel a discomfort, ah, it's all right. It'll, it'll go away. It'll heal on its own. It may take a few months, but it's going to heal on its own. Like even that mentality, not understanding the concept of if you have a toothache, you can go to the dentist and get it fixed. And you don't have to wait. You just have to wait when the next appointment is available. You don't have to go months and years with pain in your, in your teeth, for example. Again, these are all things that I battle. You know, like I'm about to undergo surgery on my teeth. I'm spending about $200,000. And for me, it's all or nothing. Like if I'm going to get my teeth done, I'm going to have movie star teeth. 
I'm not going to skip steps. I'm not going to wait and hold off. No. If I'm going to get my teeth done, they're going to be the best teeth that money can buy. So, you know, it's, it's moments like that that you kind of look back on and and you reflect on. You know? Give me one quick second. Let me have another drink of water here and let me um adjust my microphone oh man so needless to say I apologize excuse me fix this a little bit sure everything is on point um this situation reminds me of so much and on so many different ways and again I said I'm gonna put it all on the table today and you know feel free to judge me Feel free to ridicule me or either laugh at me, laugh with me, or laugh, you know, at my situation. It it, it doesn't matter anymore. I don't because I don't care. So it's a psychological release for me to say that and then allowing myself to make myself comfortable here. And express what I'm ultimately feeling. Because the brain has a certain way of functioning. Certain things are mechanical. And, you know, we have to, we have to take control and kind of remind ourselves that we're still human. So... Let me pause this segment here. We'll be back in a New York minute with our second segment. And we'll start embarking on this journey together. Okay, so we're back, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm I'm gonna try to go as deep as I can. So in the beginning it's like a personal declaration of independence, you know. You, for some reason, decide inside of yourself that you are going to pursue your happiness. And not only pursue your happiness, but, you know, pursue your dreams in the process. Meaning that, You declare to the world that your happiness is the pursuit of your dream. And they are both one and the same. That's what I think makes it unique. You know, for me, I felt extreme poverty and extreme pain. 
And, you know, I felt like it was my way of, of creating my own superhero. You know? I had to stand up for myself. I had to be strong for myself. I had to tell myself that it was possible. And the more I did that, the more people gravitated towards me because I was saying things that they wanted to say. I was doing things that they wanted to do, but they were afraid of failure. They were afraid of, uh, you know, of the entire situation. And I was embraced. I was embraced by everyone around me. And some people were amazed, amused. They thought that it would be a phase of life that after a few years, it would fade away, it would go away. Because sometimes in life, you know, things have a season, right? Like a natural uh, life cycle. So people felt that, you know, let's say he'll, he'll play baseball for a few years, but then reality will sink in and, and he'll let it go. Or, or he'll do music for a few years and he'll do film and, and modeling and TV and all this stuff and then he'll get over it. Well, 26 years later, I'm still a creative. I'm still of a uh, an artist, a creator, a musician, an artist. I'm still the same. Like nothing has changed since I started. The earliest years I can go back to are like 91, 92, as far as wanting to do it, wanting to do music, and getting serious around 93 and 94, like it only took me three or four years to incubate, and then by 95 and 96, I was already committed, 97, 98, I got my first opportunity. And um, another point that I highlighted to my to my wife was that I never signed to any other major corporation. I never once trusted the system ever again. You know, but I remained consistent. You know, I had to prove myself. You know, to 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 the streets, to the people around me, the people that loved music, that I was really serious, you know, from from day one, from the beginning. And I never stopped creating music. Again, why my catalog is so big. But, um, what you think is this dream, you quickly realize that it's, it's a business. And in business, you're in war. Business is war. 
As a matter of fact, I just went on the Valuetainment website and shout out to Patrick Bet David. Um, they have new shirts, new Valuetainment shirts. That one of them says it. You know, it's a black and red shirt. It's all black, and it says it in red. It says, "Business is war." I didn't understand that till I was much, much older and much more educated. But this illusion or this dream that may have been the motivation or the motivating factor when you start your career you realize that it's just like an allure. It's a cheap alternative synthetic concept of happiness that is not reality. So let's go back into my own psyche, right? Like, what was my dream? My dream was to be affluent, wealthy, rich, famous, where I could, you know, buy everybody a house from my neighborhood, buy everybody a nice car and nice clothing and jewelry and sneakers and pay for their college, for their kids and give them a good job where they will be working with me, where they will have all the food that they needed, you know, all the gas to operate their vehicles, you know, all the furniture to furnish their homes. Like, if you can translate that, what I wanted was the end of the suffering for the people around me. I wanted them to be stable, and I wanted them to be happy, and I wanted them to have a future. You see, my dream from the beginning was never about me. It was always about the people around me. And unless we spoke about like Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NFL, you know, something major like that, there was nothing that I could compute in my mind. There was no other way to do that. And I got injured as a kid, so I couldn't really do the... um the things that I wanted to do as far as like um, as sports because th there was a path there but as I was growing up it was a closing tunnel because as I grew up and I grew older I did so many different sports and you know martial arts and things like that which is, again, something else I could relate to from from the Green Ranger. This is all inspired by the Green Ranger, by the way. Um, every so often, I would change my strategy. So if I played basketball for a few years and my body went through a change, I would start, you know, playing baseball. And then my body would go to a growth spur, so I played football and so forth and so forth. Like, I was trying to keep up with the changing 
everything around me. Like, my body was changing, I was changing, the whole world was changing. And, um, you know, again, peeling back the layers, the 80s was crazy. I grew up in the 80s, you know, fearing life and death in the streets. But also living in the freedom that I had in the streets. And enjoying that freedom, enjoying that that necessity, like to just be free, to just be outside and and not be afraid and be cooped up inside, etc. Or at least that was my perspective. I realize now that all those people around me were just trying to make it. They were just trying to live their life. You know, they just they had given up hope, you know, that. When you're outside in the streets, you know, it's like that's all you have. So I realized even as a kid why some of my friends were so advanced mentally is because they roamed the streets. So they started to learn all these aspects about life that for me, you know, even being in the streets seven, eight years old, I was a late bloomer. I have friends that were in the streets since four or five years old. So it just goes to show you, that's like a whole generation in front of me, you know. So my wonder years, quote unquote, my growth and my development was was very unique. Like I remember when it was snow, how I would bring toys outside. To play in the snow. Mind you. I live in one of the most dangerous. Neighborhoods. In the world. And that was my innocence. That's what I thought it was about. You know wearing the muffins. And the and the scarves. And the, the hoodies. And you know the hats. And playing with the snow. And stuff like that. Like that's what I thought it was about. But no there were kids that were like. Playing football. You know what I'm saying? Like, my mind was to play with action figures that couldn't speak back. And I had to create the environment around them. I had to create the storyline, etc. But when you're playing football, you get to meet people from all over the neighborhood. Because this is how it works. Whatever neighborhood has the best hills... Are going to get the best snowfall. So you're going to have. Literally. Like slides of snow. Where you could play sports. And you could do so much. So what will happen is. The surrounding neighborhoods. Kids that didn't have hills or curves. In their neighborhood. They will flock to my neighborhood. Because we had all the. All the best features. So in a sense. It was like a winter wonderland. When it was snow. All the kids would come out. So now as the snow started to melt, people will go back to their parts of the neighborhood. So now as a kid, you're starting to travel. You know, summertime is coming. So people are playing baseball. They're going to go to the flatter grounds. And this is how the inner city neighborhoods in New York connect. Because as a kid, you just want to play baseball or you just want to play football or you just want to play basketball. And if you notice, those three main characteristics 
are found in different environments. So, you know, before you know it, it's like I grew up with the Lost Boys. You know, the Goonies were my my childhood friends. You know, we're all from different walks of life, different age groups. We're all into different things. Most of us are poor, so we have that in common. But some are able to do things that some are not. And whatever we were able to do, we always shared. So, like, we were able to do together. Like, if you had a bicycle, you know, and you you rode it for, like, two or three weeks, we would just hang out with that person, right? Then after two or three weeks, the newness would fade away. And now everybody would take turns riding the bicycle. You know, from that, it grew to now we're, we're driving places. So... People would get pegs, like these are things that you put on the front wheel and in the back wheel, and you can um you can stand on it. So, you know, it would just evolve from, you know, somebody sitting in the seat and then sitting in the front uh, metal bar to now standing on the pegs to now there are bikes that you could put pegs in the front and pegs in the back. So, like, you literally could have four or five of us on a bicycle. And that was that was the way of, of sharing the little bit that God gave us. You know, and it's like little things like that. Like, um, if it was baseball, maybe I got a glove for Christmas and you got a, a, a box of baseballs. And then our friend of ours has a new bat that they gave him for Christmas. But then they have the old one that the uncle gave them or the older brother or something like that. And before you know it, if we all chipped in the little stuff that we had or maybe things that we found in the trash, because that's where I did my shopping was in the trash cans. Um, You know, somebody would throw out like an old um shoulder pad or something like that, you know, to give you an example, right? And that would be like, like our thing, like we would clean it up, refurbish it, paint it, whatever. And, you know, maybe we could play with another neighborhood. Maybe they have better equipment and stuff like that. But at least we have some equipment. And the important part is that at least we could play, you know. And, um, you know, I guess different phases of life, like, you know, you get older, you know, you start liking the girls and, you know, you want to walk with them to the park and you want to smell good and look nice and you want to buy them Chinese food, and, you know, John's fried chicken and, you know, different neighborhoods have different girls. So, you know, your empire starts to expand like you go to different neighborhoods to chill, to play, to do whatever. You just create this world underneath all the fucking violence and all the shit that's going on around you, you know? And um, even though you have to be tough in the streets and stuff like that, a part of you still wants things to be functional, like you still want to be a kid. You know, I had to play with my action figures at home because it wasn't cool to play with your action figures outside anymore. You know, 
I wanted to go watch the Power Rangers. My excuse was, you know, I got a little brother and I got to watch him. So we got to watch it together. But really and truly, deep down inside, you wanted to have the powers to do all kinds of shit. And maybe that's why part of me loves cars too. Because, you know, the Green Ranger had the Dragon Zord. That's like, I love everything that's green. I'm Dominican. You know what I'm saying? I'm Puerto Rican too. But, you know, I'm overall Dominican. We love platanos. We love everything that's green. Fucking broccoli. <laughs> uh, Ninja Turtles. You know what I'm saying? Godzilla. The Green Ranger was green. He had a, a mechanical Godzilla, which is the Dragon Zord. And growing up where I come from, it's like a car was your Dragon Zord. You know, as you got older, you're like, man, I need a set of wheels, man. I need a car so I could go chill with the pretty girls and take them somewhere and stuff and stuff like that. But um, without going too deep into my childhood, you know, what I'm sharing with you guys is just like the perspective of how we viewed life, especially me being an artist and being a creative type and um, having this beautiful dream that was never selfish. It was never about me. It was never about, you know, I want this. It was more like my happiness would be the byproduct of fulfilling the dreams of everybody around me and you know like being able to help these people that that didn't have help like they didn't have hope I was the superhero in my neighborhood because I was the kid that dared to dream I was the kid that wasn't afraid of the criticism you know some people talked down upon me some people were like oh this guy's a dreamer he's never gonna you know, be able to make it, this, that, and the third. And all it did was it made me stronger and stronger. Like, it's actually one of my personality traits now that I, I, I'm able to to know what that, what that actually is. So, you know, I get into the motion picture industry because... You know, I write a script and I love film and I can't tell you how many times I will go downtown to Chinatown and, and I would buy like a camera, like an old beat up, you know, camera. Like an eight millimeter camera that ran on film. And I w would be able to buy the cameras secondhand, you know, maybe needing repairs and stuff like that. But never once was I able to afford the actual film. So I had a deep respect for movies because, you know, I would do the research. Like, I would call Panavision and order the catalog because it was free. I would talk to them on the phone because it was free. And I would learn as much as I could from the public library or by talking to people. And I knew that it cost millions of dollars to put a film together, directly or indirectly, short term and long term. 
collectively or in one major investment. And loving film collecting VHSs and using every excuse to to go to the movies with my friends you know it was the world to me it was literally my life you know and, and I really felt that with just maybe two or three blockbuster films, I could be so successful that I could escape poverty. I went through the pursuit of trying to get films put together. Me being in films myself, acting myself, writing myself, stuff like that. And... Decided on music because it was something that, although it would be difficult, it wouldn't be impossible. And at least it was something that I could do, like, you know, immediately. And my films and my writing were focused on audio. Just like visuals, you know, I would have to express a scene if I wrote a scene or a character or a circumstance. And all along I had this ability to do music because every one of my songs is a movie. And my career begins. It wasn't about millions of dollars at that moment in my life. It was about success. It was about the opportunity. Like, when I was writing movies, I was critically acclaimed. And people were willing to to invest in this poor kid from Harlem in the Bronx full of life full of dreams full of hopes and aspirations and the same thing happened with music so in a sense it was one of my very first tastes of success in, in, in real life. You know, I was accepted. I was understood. I had no limitations because I could play that game and I could win that game because I was an artist. I was a builder. I was a, a creator. In other words, I was somebody. I wasn't just a character in the background. Mind you, part of me is still in denial because I'm numbing the pains of the streets 
I'm numbing the knowledge and the understanding that I had of the streets. And it's like I'm I'm trying to put that part of my life behind me. And I'm I'm looking for a new path to be successful that is positive. Needless to say, you know the streets are not the most positive environment. I don't judge the streets because I come from the streets and I'm true to the game. But I appreciate that it was like a a building block. It was a stepping stone in my life. And it taught me a lot of the core values that I still hold to this day. But because I understand the dynamics of the mechanics of the streets, I knew that God had to have something better for me because I didn't want to start my life in chaos and in a problem and then find myself in a deeper problem when if I ever went to the streets, it was to find the way out of the streets, if that makes sense. It was like an initiation, like I had to be baptized in the street fire to to be able to to appreciate everything that's not of the streets, etc. You know, I had great people around me in the streets. Really genuinely good people, good-hearted people that had to live a certain lifestyle because they may not have had a choice. But had they had a choice, they would be able to be successful in all facets of life, including business, you know, including business. So, you know, I always appreciated the people that were there and that were a part of my life. And I cherish those memories. Those memories will always and forever be a part of who I am. And it's the whole reason why I'm, I'm, I'm even putting this together, right? So, I get these opportunities, and it becomes a full-time job. It becomes a challenge to try to get a film done, to try to get a record done, etc. And I'm getting older, and the people around me are starting to realize, like, this is a job, this is a career, this is like something I'm really serious about and their praises turn into silence because they realize that I'm not giving up I'm still you know in the pursuit of happiness in the pursuit of my dreams which are both one and the same and now it's like the fears the doubts and the worries that I'm gonna fail and it's gonna crush me to the point where I'm going to be a broken person forever. So they start to cast that doubt. You know, maybe you should try this. Maybe you should do that. You know, oh, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. But yet, somehow, in some way, I continue to, you know, push forward. And I'm granted several opportunities the opportunity that I'm granted for music it's not even the biggest opportunity but it's the 
opportunity of a lifetime. It's the opportunity that I need. Because it was my first taste of the dream being real. I can't even pinpoint what I was doing that day that I got that phone call. I can't even remember how the fuck we got to downtown and how we got inside this huge corporate building with security and it was so nice and all these other things to then walk into this you know major recording studio and have an opportunity I didn't know anything about anything at that point. I just knew that at that time, I had a record label, a roster of artists that I was developing, and I had great music myself. All I had was a dream. That was my way of, of filtering out the pain of life. Whether I was writing a movie or filming a movie or being part of a movie or writing a record, I was in control. I was relevant. I was important because I was the creative mind. It was an escape. It was a way to numb the pain of my reality. Time was taken. I just didn't understand the concept of time then. And every day, there was only one focus and it was to be successful. It guided every single step in my journey. And it determined who... I would eventually become who I would eventually be and who I am today. So, kept pushing forward. It, it wasn't long before the illusion unraveled and I realized that this dream had a darker side to it, which is the business. I didn't understand. You know, I didn't understand. So, I started to study and research People like a Master P. Why they were successful. How they 
you know, started their own record label and stuff like that. And I immediately knew then that's exactly what I wanted. Me going to a major record label was giving the industry a chance, like the reasonable doubt that they would do the right thing. And I have to admit, the people around me, I guess they tried, you know, at least they tried to do the best they could do. But I didn't know that my career would be so much bigger than anything that they ever tried to do. Just at the time, I got a taste of of what it was to be successful. And it was in the dumbest and the minor, the most minor things. Um, if I could go back to a few highlights, it would probably be being able to have some nice clothes, being able to go where I wanted to go, shopping, and being able to connect with people and share with them that opportunity. And I'll go as far as one day, one time, we were able to um, to drive in this nice sports car for a day. That was my career in the music industry. You know, even the Even the jewelry, you know, held on to the jewelry for a little bit. Then, you know, I just got lost along the journey right along the way. So, what do you do from that point? You you continue to build. Continue to build. The years would pass. I noticed a pattern too. And again, I'm thinking about the Green Ranger. You know? The Power Rangers were on from 91 to 93, almost 94. He immediately... When the show went off the air, and not off the air, but like, you know, when the new season start, stop, I mean, uh, stopped coming in, within a year, he got married to his first wife. And from a psychological standpoint, I attest that to myself doing the same thing. Because within that second or third year, of my music career. That's exactly what I did. I realized that illusion is not the reality. So I sought love and understanding and I gave my heart to the woman that would destroy me. My Delilah for sure, my downfall was giving my heart to this wonderful person that I loved, that I fell in love with, you know, I had my first daughter with, you know. But it's because 
I already felt, I already started to feel that love was worth more than the success and the, the materialistic gains. Love could last forever. Or so I thought at that time. When I give you the example of the Green Ranger, this is how I'm looking at it now from the eyes of a fully grown man with an education and experience to be able to express these very hard topics that I am conveying to you all today. This is why I said I don't want to hold anything back. I'm going to go and retrace the roots, you know. There's a pattern here. I also want to highlight a speech that the Green Ranger gave a few weeks ago where he's talking about the White Dragon Saga in that film and um, how he doesn't care about materialistic things. That is not what people make it out to be. Like, I agree so much. That is so true in my life. And it also reveals to me where his mind was at, which we're going to get to it. We're, we're going to get to every every aspect of it. So when I give, I give it all. You know, when I love, it's unconditional. And I genuinely gave my heart to this person that didn't appreciate my heart that at the first opportunity that this person had to betray me it was inevitable it was written for her to destroy me and she did she destroyed my life she took countless of years of my early childhood development to this day I never understood how somebody that can love a person can hurt a person I still have a hard time wrapping myself around that concept so life goes on people enjoy my downfall movie careers on pause Music career is on standby. The marriage is a failure. I have a beautiful child. But now I have this family that was never part of my life. That when I had my opportunity, I made them a part of my life. And in my absence, while I'm doing my music and my movie stuff, I felt that it was the right thing, that once I reached a certain level, these people would be a part of my life. And that was another of my biggest mistakes. I know today that the people that love you are the most important things in life. Life is about the people that you love and the people that love you. 
Everything else is water under a bridge. Some people don't deserve to be in your life. And sometimes God takes them away from your life for a reason. Because when I brought these people into my life, I exposed my armor. I took my armor off. Because at the time, I felt that that's what life was about. You know, I've attained the level of success. It's not what I envisioned it to be. It wasn't my vision. Because my vision was an illusion that was man-made. It was created by a group of people that don't have my best interests at heart. That don't care about me and my family. Don't care about my kids or my future. Because this industry is fucking ruthless, right? And business is war. These are concepts that were all new to me. So I made the mistake and I take full responsibility of opening my heart, my spirit, my mind, my body, and my soul to this family that was absent in my life during my childhood, during my wonder years, my growing pains, my developmental stages. These people were not around, but because now I'm an artist and I'm a creative type and I'm you know, making waves in the water. These people are all around me. And they were the most hurtful, toxic, negative, abusive, controlling um, people that you could imagine. Like these are things that you may see like in a fairy tale type of a movie or story. That you will have people that are your blood-born relatives that are supposed to accept you into their tribe and nurture your growth and your development. These were the first people to show me the utmost pain. It took me years to recover from the damage that they did to me psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. They never accepted me. They never wanted me to be a part of their tribe. They had social political reasons to portray the image of trying to help me and my loved ones. In my clan. Because social politically. It gave them a certain status and position. That they were so established. That they were able to help other people. But the reality was that I was the person. Funding their lifestyle. I was the person giving them the lifestyle. And giving them the, the status. Because of my attributes. Anybody that came in contact with me. Knew that I was special. Like. You know, this kid is talented, this kid is doing this, that, and the third, and he's so young. And that was the theme. It's like crush him before he grows. Now the theme is, fast forward, he's so old. I'm 40 years old. I still feel in my heart like I'm 14, 15 years old. Because for the last 25, 26 years, since I've been in my career, I've been in an incubation chamber. You know, in my septic tank, if this is a, a not septic tank, uh, Darth Vader has this uh, tank where he, you know, he maintains himself. 
think it's called Bastic Tank, some, something like that. I don't know, Baptic Tank, I don't know what it is. But um, basically, you know, that fearlessness that I had to be myself, to face the world, to look at the world differently, to say that it could be done. That fire is what they feared, what they wanted to put out. They set me up for failure time and time again, and I never understood, I never realized the why. As time will progress in life, that's how I was able to to see the truth that being in a person's life is a privilege and should be deemed as a blessing and should never be tarnished a person that loves you will never hurt you some people believe that some people don't I live by that if you love somebody and you appreciate somebody you're not going to hurt that person Fast forward to today. I learned the industry. I traveled. I tried to build a family several times. Didn't really work out. I went through some major, major setbacks. Cost me my freedom. Cost me my stability. It uprooted me. Took me away from everything that I've ever known. Everything that I've ever loved. And in that process, all I had was my music. You know, in that process, all I had was, you know, the ability to express what I was going through at the time. And just like the Buddha, I had to, you know, go away far from everything to find who I am I had to sit down and have those conversations with myself who am I what are my values what do I believe in what do I stand for completely different way of of looking at life what's the meaning right what, what does this all mean why, why did I go through all these things a lot of times it didn't make sense now it's all starting to make sense
I just realized how it has all come together. Like, um, just a few days ago, I decided to start a Kickstarter. I have full creative control, retain all ownership of my music, and release a major record label release. I decided to put together $5.5 million. And that's where I'm at right now. We're going to take a quick pause. We'll be back with the third installment. And we'll continue to go deeper than the mind. So, wow, let's continue to go deeper than the mind. So, opportunities arose. I had to be careful with pitfalls of this industry. I realized that the power was inside of me. And I started to focus on myself, working hard every single day, saving all my little pennies to buy what I needed to do music, exposing myself to the world because anybody could ask me a question and anybody could get a, a quick interview. Everybody wanted to know what happened to me what's going on, where's my career at. And throughout the process, I was never afraid to be honest and say, well, this happened to me, that happened to me, and this is how it affected my life, and this is how I live my life today because of it. Got an education, became an entrepreneur, traveled the world. Just looked at the world differently. Never afraid. Never afraid to pursue what was like flowing inside of me, you know, this need to express, right? This need to fight. I didn't understand at the time what I was doing. I just knew that it had to be done. I knew that I had to liberate myself from all of the chains that Time had placed on me. Life. You know, come from a poor family, from a small village, from a broken home. Broken family. From parents that divorced. You know, a people that went from Europe to the Caribbean and then back to the United States in the pursuit of happiness. And it didn't work out, you know, for my uncle. Well, actually, for my uncles, you know, to fall victim to to drugs. My grandfather living his nightmare, you know, leaving everything that he knew back home. 
marrying the love of his life and then bringing his family to the promised land and the abundance killed the family because like I said, you know, my relatives got on drugs and went to the streets and dishonored my grandfather who was a hard working man his whole life. You know, the miseducation for the women in the family was horrible too because they are the bearers of the future generations and my grandfather realized that the education was back home was way better and the lifestyle was way better than here in the States and eventually he returned back home and he remarried and that was his way of coping with his failure. He realized that his true success would be back home where he started, where he was more in control of the circumstances of the situation. And I also relate to that because I'm actually moving back home in the next few months. So notice how everything is returning to his nature, right? And I could relate to that. I've been famous my whole life. I've dealt with the pressures of life. The wonder years, the growing pains, the developmental stages, before an education, before traveling the world, being a creative type, being an artist. An artist places everything in their art. They're willing to expose their true feelings and emotions for all to see and criticize and analyze and scrutinize and dissect and break down and etc. The artist just wants liberation. The artist wants to be free. The people connect with that dynamic of that mechanic of that inner process. That's why they relate to the art. Some of the fan base is unable to express it other than to collect a piece of art that resembles and represents that liberation. I decided to take my own destiny into my own hands. Own my future, own my copyrights, own my publishing, own my royalties, own my music. Is the essence of who I am. Even as an entrepreneur, I wanted to be independent. I wanted to do things my way and not fall victim to the system, you know? My freedom is my art. My freedom is my ability to express myself. I have 75 instrumental tracks in my hard drive that need to go into my motherboard so I can record music. I actually have spoken to a few people that are interested in investing in the music. 
and I try to do music when I feel it in my heart. This situation hurt me on so many levels. This is my way of expressing who I am and what I am in a situation that I do not understand. In my heart, I'm always going to be the green and the white ranger. And I can relate to the green ranger on so many ways. The Power Rangers cannot win without the Green Ranger. He's the one. He's the chosen one. Even though his circumstances were not the best, now that I understand the light side and the dark side because I'm a diehard Star Wars fan, at that time, I didn't fully grasp the concept of what the Force was. The Green Ranger represented that balance for me. You know, everybody else had all the popular colors, right? But this guy is like, the he's the Ninja Turtle. He's the green one. You know, he's Gazoo from the fucking Flintstones. He's the guy that has Godzilla as his dragon sword. You know what I'm saying? Or as his dinosaur. Like, there were so many things that vibrated. That frequency was 100% me. Had his own theme song. You know, he had a, a dragon dagger and it had a flute. Like, he was the nigga with the music. All that shit. I relate to all that shit completely. That nigga had the shield. I always got my vest, riding my motorcycles and shit like that. Um, He got the helmet. Y'all know I fuck with motorcycles, so I love the helmet. It's very important when, when you collect bikes and you work on bikes and shit like that. I love everything with a motor, but... You know, because I love cars too. Obviously, you guys know I'm a car collector, but um, I relate to, to, to the Green Ranger on so many levels. Like, all my relatives could tell you how many times I called them or left a voicemail. And they're like, who's this? And I'm like, the Green Ranger, nigga. <laughs> to know that he passed away hurt me so fucking much. Because in the music industry, I am the Green Ranger. I'm the strongest one, the most powerful one. All I'm waiting for is the opportunity that I've been waiting for my whole life. To have a fair fighting chance against the whole industry and all the major artists. And for that, that's why I'm doing this Kickstarter shit. So, let's peel back these layers. This is the part that... I found it the most difficult yesterday to express to my family because, you know, I was I was balling up in tears, man. And I just had to have a moment to myself. I said, let me give it a few days so more information is available. But I knew that I wanted to put this on my on my podcast. So the Green Ranger was forty nine years old. Okay, he's nine years older than me. Automatically, you fear that number. You fear like, oh my God, am I going to have a fucking nervous breakdown at 49? That's what I'm thinking, the midlife crisis, right? His life's calling was 
the Power Rangers. But behind the films, this nigga was a real martial artist. This nigga did everything from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to fucking Muay Thai to karate to all, a whole bunch of shit. Like, this nigga was the real deal. That's like me being an artist and really being from the hood and really being from the streets and really growing up, going through things that gave me a unique perspective. And to be honest with you, in my music, I no longer have to talk about those things. If I speak about the streets, it's from the standpoint of somebody that overcame that phase of life and gave his life to God and education and, and you know, is able to share with the youth that there's a better way that you don't have to throw your life away, especially right now when there's so many opportunities, you know? Any generation older than me is a generation that's older than me. When you get down to the meat and potatoes of it, he would have been an example of a generation right in front of me. So, let's talk about English first because I'm a, I'm an English artist, right? I'm a musician predominantly with the foundation of Europe and the United States. My career was always bigger in Europe. I'm not going to go into the full details of it, but that's really where my career is born. And it kind of spills over to the United States, but because I'm kind of stuck in the United States, I can't do anything. Eventually, I move on to international by way of Latin music. And underground music connects everywhere in the world. So I have those two advantages, right? Well, to put it all into perspective... You have the foundation to my music. And there's about three elements to it. So let's go with the first element. You have hip-hop and rap being born in the Bronx, which is where I'm from. Even though, you know, my mom, her family, they're from Harlem and stuff like that. You know, my dad is from the Bronx, so we're always back and forth between both hemispheres, right? So I'm seeing the movement of rap and hip-hop growing from its, its bassinet in the Bronx, right? And I'm seeing all of the style spilling over into Harlem as well as every other borough Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island, Staten Island shout out to all of them but in the sense that I'm right in the middle of this energy field you know the the, the live parties and MCs and the DJ scratching and the break dancing and the clothing and the attitude and the way of speaking and the lifestyle and you know I'm there man I'm living it all 
know, from the streets to to everything dealing with the streets to the, you know, the drug game, the drug trade, hustling, like all these things, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm seeing it all, and it, it, this is my life. You have, you know, Grandmaster Flash, The Furious Five, Sugar Hill Gang, The Message, Rapper's Delight. The rest is history, you know. You got a Run DMC and and an LL Cool J, but you also have an Eric B and Rakim. You know, then as a kid. As much as I love like a rap bass and, you know, countless of other legends, anybody from those eras, they're just automatic legends because they were the pioneers that built the structure, you know, they built the temple of music. My favorite was LL because LL was able to transform into his lyrics. When I do my music documentary, I'll go more into details about that. But as those years of the 80s passed, and the late 80s for me, It was clear cut that, you know, my first hip hop record was going to be an LL record. And if I had to pick a single, it was radio because my dad actually had that JVC and he actually gave it to me as a kid. I guess when he moved on with with that phase of his life, you know, he gave me that. And it was my my time traveling machine. It was my jetpack. It was my fucking teleportation device. You know, I started to learn more about a world even bigger than what I could visually see because. The radio stations connected with the whole New York City. And I could listen to every single radio station from the AM stations to the FM stations. I could burn cassettes. I could dub cassettes. Um, Eventually, my father, he bought a a Fisher uh, five-stack audio system. And 
it had everything from a five disc CD player on the top to a long play at the very top layer. It had a dual cassette player. It had a equalizer and a whole bunch of other things. It had storage in the bottom. It came in the case. It it was it was really really like amazing. Like it was so powerful and so loud. You literally could have like a concert at at home with, with that uh, sound system. And it's where I would spend all of my free time. In my living room, I had two windows. I had a TV where I watched PBS. I had all my G.I. Joes on one side. I had all of my wrestling buddies on the other side. I had the belts, you know. Eventually, I had the ring and stuff like that, but I, I didn't get the, the, the wrestling ring till much later in life. But on my side, my comfort zone side, you know, I had my first recording studio. I had my JVC boombox that was portable that I only got to use while I had batteries, which wasn't all the time. But eventually, I graduated to to be in the the master of of that Fisher sound system. You know, my father wasn't around to use it. In fact, I never saw my father use it, not once. When my father left us, when he left the house, it was still brand new. Eventually, my JVC, you know, ran out of batteries and stuff like that. But what I was able to do, just by having the freedom of, like, Make my own mixtapes. My father, I guess, he had planned to record music and never got around to it. But, um, so many records and so many songs, and my mom to cope with her loss turned back into music and my mother would buy the mixtapes they were cassettes they were dub cassettes made at home they were pirated meaning like they were um they were they were fakes you know somebody would buy the original album They'll dub it on a, on a blank cassette. They'll make their own cover. They'll have all the original songs that are mainstream. But then they'll add like the underground songs. They'll mix them in. And um, especially those Spanish DJs back then were only copying what the American DJs were doing. But they were not proud to say, I'm DJ this, that, and the third. You know, they would. that's just how they would do it. So, you know, it would cost a few dollars. 
You know, you could buy them in the streets basically anywhere. So me and my mom and my little brother, we didn't have a car. So we had to walk everywhere. And we had to um, take the bus or the train. Sometimes a cab. If we were doing really good, we could take a cab. And um, LL Cool J, the radio, I need a girl. Mama said, knock you out. That was my world. You know, when LL Cool J said, I'm notorious, I'll crush you like a jelly bean. It was one of the first rap lyrics that put a visual in my mind. His timing was precise and it was perfect. And other than LL Cool J, there was another artist that will forever change my life. Vico C. Vico C, to me, is the Spanish LL Cool J. No matter what you say or try to do, you can never take away what LL Cool J has done for music. And like the Green Ranger, what he's done for me in my life. But now you have Vico C. The fusion of so many different Latin sounds inspired me. It gave me the, the comfort to know that it's okay to be Latin and do this, this art form known as rap and hip-hop. That era passes. We're in the early 90s. There's another movement from back home, you know, Panama, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Cuba, Haiti, the whole Caribbean islands. They're fusing reggae with rap and hip-hop. And it's becoming a new a new wave, right? Like a new lane. Starts with DJ Playero. Starts with the noise. And it splits into two. It becomes reggaeton and dembow. Again, I'm in the middle of this shit. This is like the second nuclear explosion of music. And I'm right there to absorb everything. The sounds. Like, even in the 80s, when you listen to Hector Lavoe, you listen to the lyrics... That was the sound track of the streets. 
those guys were rapping over salsa beats. Those guys were rapping over merengue beats. That's where the birth of that fusion that becomes, you know, everything else comes from. So I was always into hard lyrics. Well, at this time, music and the sound of music for hip-hop are changing. You know, you have the emergence of like a Tupac Shakur, which sealed the change of the sound. You have artists such as Big L and Fat Joe and then Biggie. They changed the sound. And again, I'm in the middle of this fucking acoustic explosion. This fusion is happening again. I think back to how many Fania records and all-star records that I had, like Vinyl Long Plays. And I got them from people throwing them away in crates in the trash. And I would pick up the crates and I collected them. So I had all the fucking classic records, vinyls that I could play at home. And I, I, I so deeply cherished that collection that I lost during the years of life. But just like in the beginning of rap hip-hop, and I had my heroes like L.O. Cool J and Biko C., I had my heroes during the playero, reggaeton era, and Dembo, the original Dembo, not the Dembo from now. Well, there's another nuclear fallout, and I have Tupac, Biggie, Nas, Jay-Z, amongst many legends. There are so many legends in music. Again, my respect to Nori because it wasn't until Nori's album came out in 1998 that it certified it for me. That if, if Vico C made it cool to be lying and do hip hop, and you have people like from House of Pain, you know, would jump around and stuff like that, Nori shared something so powerful with me which I'm going to attribute to just like when LL Cool J said, I'm notorious, I'll crush you like a jelly bean. You know, when Nori said, I used to love the Bo Jacksons, the orange and blue, he was talking to me. I was the kid with the Bo Jacksons that were orange and blue. But that's 98. Let's go back to 94, 95, 96, 97. 97, we lose Biggie. 96, we lose Tupac. 96, I'm back in Dominican Republic. Playero, reggaeton, the noise. Nuclear explosion. Kind of goes on pause. It will reemerge in the early 2000s. But now, this reggaeton dembo movement is on pause. I start taking music seriously. 
and I have to pick my pillars. I have to build something, but I need a foundation. What's that foundation? Tupac, Amaru Shakur, Christopher Wallace, The Notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, Nasia Jones, Nas, the new version of Rakim, and Jigga, Jay-Z, Sean Carter, Sean Corey as we know him in the streets. Pac loses his life, 25. Biggie loses his life a year later, less than a year later, months later. Nas, who lyrically, you know, we, um, we hoped would carry the torch, falls apart because he's dealing with his own personal shit. You know, primarily, you know, the, the challenges with his mother. It was the beginning of those challenges. Jay-Z, with the business mind of a Ross Perot, comes in like a masterpiece to start Rockefeller and kind of takes over the music industry. I mean, just look at Jay-Z today is what I'm saying. And look at Nas today still missing in action. So, we're going to take a pause. We'll be back in the fourth installment. And we'll go deep into how the saga continues. We'll be right back. Man. Fast forward to today. While this is happening, reggaeton has an emergence. Dembo kind of takes a step back. Dembo is still there, but it's not fully expanded like it is today. And we'll talk about Bad Bunny and all that stuff. Once again, you have three major pillars that establish reggaeton where it needs to be. Daddy Yankee from the Playero era. Don Omar. Tego Calderon. I needed those three certifications. I needed Vico C to make it cool to be Latin like a Geraldo and do music. I needed the cosign of somebody like Nori that grew up in New York like me and made it cool to be Latin and make hits. But I also needed an artist like Dego to make it okay to not only be Latin, and not only grow up out here back and forth and make hits, but now to be able to speak with the dialect that we speak with back home. That not only our people understand, but our people would embrace. 
I needed to be able to harmonize like a donomal to make it okay to sing, which is just a resurfacing of what was happening in the 80s with merengue and the late 80s with salsa and in the early 90s, which became bachata. But I also had to curve it back and make it okay for me to speak English and Spanish like Daddy Yankee has done by making songs that are English or or putting certain phrases that were in English. When you look at Fat Joe's career, it wasn't really popular to put too many Spanish elements into the music. He still did, but it was sprinkled. It was very light. But once again, I had the foundation for my Spanish flow. I could speak with my dialect. I could add English. The dialect from Tego. The English from, from a, a Daddy Yankee. And harmonize it all together with real subject matter like a Don Omar. I had it all. I had the best fucking flow in English. Best flow in Spanish. Let's peel back the layers. Sean Carter, better known to the world as Jay-Z, is, you know, mid-50s plus. One generation in the streets ahead of me. Technically, two or three generations. But this is just to put it in perspective. I grew up around people like Jay-Z. The age difference would be about right. Maybe even older people by comparison. If I think about Tupac and Biggie, fast forward today, 2022, that would be equivalent to me taking advice from a 25-year-old. As deep as they were, they were very young. Tupac could be my son. Biggie could be my son. These are, these are artists that I looked up to my entire life. From the first album, to the first CD, to the first cassette, to the long plays, to the first poster, graphic, uh, four-page booklet. I collected everything. I lost them as artists. The world lost them as people. They were my inspiration. They were the foundation to my music. When Tupac said that he would spark the mind that would change the world, I believe in my heart and soul and, and mind and spirit that he was talking to me. So I, I still hold myself to that standard. The same thing with Biggie. You want to talk about the pitfalls of the game? Biggie was just nice. I'm nice like Biggie, but I'm deep like Tupac. And I could make any type of record like Tupac. Now, I can also be lyrical like Nas. I admire Nas. And I love his music. 
And I look forward to working with him someday. If God presents me the opportunity. But I'm very disappointed in his setbacks. I'm nobody to judge him. But just as an example. And then from Jay-Z, I learned everything. My mom worked in Marcy Projects. I grew up in Harlem in the Bronx. I don't need to say anything else. I'm Dominican. Puerto Rican background. I grew up with the Cocolos and the projects. You know what I'm saying? Heavy in the streets since I was a kid. It was just my life. I didn't choose that. That's just how it was. Listen to my voice. I learned English from Jay-Z. Who do you expect me to sound like? I'm not afraid to tell you that. You can hear it in my music. That, that uh, ism, that jism, that's where it comes from. But you know where it comes from for me? It comes from a Hector Lavoe. It comes from a Jose Jose. It comes from a Jose Feliciano. It comes from a Ruben Blades. It comes from a Eddie Santiago and a Eddie Dominguez. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is not something that people were privy to in the Europe's and the Americas. Jay-Z is happily married, beautiful children, major, mega entrepreneur, multi-billionaire. When he recorded the blueprint, he left that behind for me. I have not failed him. As a matter of fact, lyrically, I have surpassed him. That will be in the documentary. I don't want to take it out of context in the podcast. Nas made more with his investment into Coinbase than in his entire career. And I think he's very comfortable where he's at. I don't see him doing too much after that. Pac and Biggie are gone. That leaves me with the torch to be carried for the Europe and Latin America, as well as the Americas. But now the America is not the priority. My priority has always been Europe, international. Reggaeton fades away into his own lane. Dembo rises. Bad Bunny is nominated in 2022 for the first Dembo ever and wins. Tokisha Latin Grammy winner. Collaboration with Rosalia. First Grammy to come to Dominican Republic for Dembo. The first one ever created to Bad Bunny, which is Puerto Rico. He dedicates it to Dominican Republic. I'm in the eye of that storm right now. This is the next nuclear explosion. That's where I am once again in the center of. Every other nuclear explosion was just a test. It was just forging my skills to get me ready for this moment. This is why I'm doing this podcast. 
Daddy Yankee announces his retirement. Yeah, he has an album and he's on tour. The lane is open. Somewhat. Don Omar made more money with a company that he started during the pandemic. But now is coming back to claim, reclaim his position in the history books. He's on tour working on new music. I have a fair chance, like Jordan, to play against Magic and Larry Bird before they're gone. Tego Calderon is a legend, but is battling dependency problems. And then there's me. Daddy Yankee has been the most successful of those three because of his discipline and the way that he's conducted his business. Don Omar, even though he was the best, he didn't have the balance to his talent. He wasn't able to forge the talent with the business savvy. Daddy Yankee didn't have all the skills, but he had the discipline. He had the hard work ethic, and he had the business savvy. His advantage, he retired with $45 million to his name. Tego Calderon was the best lyrically, but didn't have the business aspect or savvy in place. Didn't have the discipline to follow through the hard work ethic to make the best business decisions personally as well to take care of himself, his body, mentally, spiritually, psychologically, and emotionally. And is battling alcoholism and drug abuse. These are all clear messages for me and clear examples. Bad Bunny won album of the year. First Dembo ever. He's the number one artist in the whole world. He has a 90-10 split for his contract. I'm the only other artist that is fighting for that deal. Who are the biggest artists in the world right now? Bad Bunny, Kanye West, and Drake. The only artist that can compete with those guys is me. I can do Latin music just like Bad Bunny, and I can harmonize just like Bad Bunny. I can do English music and produce just like Drake. And back to hip-hop and harmonize it, I can do it in English just like uh, Drake. Those are your three slots. Right now, the Latin music industry is crushing every other market. It's the number one music in the world right now. I don't care how you put it or slice it. Bad Bunny has broken new doors. Just like Vico C did at his time. Just like Tego, Don Omar, Daddy Yankee did in their time. And even Nori. Now it's Bad Bunny. Now the lane is open for me once again.
let's talk about fame and let's talk about fortune and let's talk about status. You have artists that are 55 plus. You have artists that are in their 50s. You have artists that are in, in their mid-40s still doing great things. I'm 40 years old. Compared to a Jay-Z, I'm a young buck. To give you an example. I'm younger than a Daddy Yankee, Don Omar, and a Tego. To give you more examples. Back to the career of the Green Ranger. Power Rangers is big from 91 to 93. 94, he gets married. In the 2000s, he gets a divorce. He's had two or three children. He gets remarried. Has one more child. And just undergoes this divorce. It's the most recent thing in, uh, in his life. He passes away. He's 49 years old. Although the Power Rangers were the beginning of his, his career, he continues to do film and he continues to do martial arts, even fighting in MMA. He continues to teach martial arts. He's still a superstar all over the world. Maybe because you don't see him on television. You may not want to acknowledge that. But this guy's fully established. He's living in, on the West Coast. He's in Texas. You know, and back and forth between California and Arizona. This guy's got it made. He's going to Comic Cons. He's doing all these activities. And just... A year and a half ago, he starts a Kickstarter to start this um this new franchise, the White Dragon franchise, right? I'm not sure how much he raised. All I know is that they put this series and this film together and it's due to be released next year. And he commits suicide. He's nine years older than me. I just decided to start my Kickstarter weeks ago. I'm asking for $5.5 million to release my first mainstream album. You know why? Because if Bad Bunny got the first Dembo uh, nomination and, and victory, I want the second one. Because if Bad Bunny got album of the year for 22... I want that in 23. Because if Tokisha could bring a, a Grammy through a collaboration to Dominican Republic and she's the first in that genre, I want to be the second. The challenge is already written for me. This is the best opportunity. Why do I want a Kickstarter? It's easy. Full creative control, retaining ownership. It's as simple as that. The Green Ranger was able to get funding from Kickstarter to fund his project. And then he got private investors to come in. 
So that's like the force multiplier. And I relate to it because I just had a relative pass away from a suicide. And it hurts me. I don't understand it. To me, is a clear message from the higher power. I'm at the same moment in my career. I already know how many years I'm going to go on tour. Every city that I'm performing in, I have my catalog for my mainstream releases already, you know, ready to be recorded. It's about 400 records. I know where I'm going to start, where I'm going to secure the label deal, where I'm going to move my, my catalogs to, all these things, the NFT collections, all that stuff is written out. You know why? Because I have a clear retirement goal and a clear retirement plan. It's not what people think that it is on TV. It's not what they feed you in a book, in society, or even in a, in a romanticized Hollywood film. Besides the artist is the human being. Like, my kids are off to college. In a few more years, I'm going to be with my wife traveling the world. That is my retirement. My career has never ended, has never stopped or slowed down. It has never even taken a pause because I continue to do music from the moment that I said I'm an artist. I continue to create art from the moment that I said I'm an artist. I never stop. What has changed is the dynamic now. My family would only acknowledge me if they saw me on TV. Now they see me on the internet and they try to water it down and dilute it and gloss over it like my career never happened. Not even the worst people that interview you and they're into like controversy would even try to insinuate that. That's a whole nother conversation and you'll see that in the documentary as well. Because guess what? My family is going to be part of the documentary. They cannot change who they are. I'm related to them for all eternity. They're my family. They just are extremely toxic. And I believe that they can get help. It's not my position to help them. But I believe that if they truly desire it in their hearts... To get help, they can get help. Now, when I thought about Kickstarter, the first thing that I thought about is the fact that it would save me about a year and a half's time. That means I could retire about a year and a half to two years earlier. And it's something I didn't equate before. So I look at the similar pattern with the Green Ranger. Like, he reached the point where he's like, look, the only way I'm going to do what I creatively feel in my heart that is the right thing is to do it myself, is to get the funding from people that are artistic, creative types. And this is the way to do it. He just did it. He just laid down the blueprint for me. And people like myself, people like us, everybody gathered here that's made it this far into the podcast. Like, this is for my real diehard, true-to-life fans. Again, I wonder to myself, in 9, 10 years, how am I going to view the world? 
Does it matter? What the fuck is the meaning? It doesn't make any sense to me. Now that I know I can walk into a dealership and buy a fucking Lamborghini in cash, I don't want it anymore. And I'm trying to understand why. I don't want to spend the money. I don't like what it represents. I don't like the attention that that car gives you. I'm not a young kid trying to prove himself to the world. I have nothing to prove. I don't want to give that movie to the world. As a car guy, all of you that are car guys are going to understand. You know what car has my attention as of lately? Other than, um, you know, the new Ford Mustang and the new Corvette. You know what car has my attention right now? Right now as we speak, the Dodge Challenger. A few years ago, I rented one of the... um, one of the special edition scat pack Hemis. The shit had like 500 something horsepower. I didn't I didn't even want to know how much more powerful the Demon and the Red Eye and the, and the other Hellcat are. Like, if that one was ridiculous, I can only imagine. As a matter of fact, one of my business partner's son has the, the TRX with the, with the elephant motor in it. Yo, I don't even want to know what that shit would feel like. In a fucking car. But that's another conversation. The point is. I'm looking at the world differently. You know. When speaking to my wife. You know. And we're into real estate. Developing real estate. I'm like. All right. We're going to get us. You know. This new house. Right. And. We're going to build out. Wherever we want to build. You know. My wife is like. You know what. I don't want to live in the city anymore. I'm like. I understand. I get it. When you're young, you want to be in the middle of the fucking metropolis. When you get older, you're like, nah, it's not all it's, you know, promoted to be. And it's because I'm at that stage in life. I'm at that phase in life that I'm like, you know what? Things are not what I thought they would be 20, 30 years ago. You know, so when I look at interviews recently of the Green Ranger and he speaks freely about being a superhero, I feel like a superhero and I'm just an artist. You know, I want to play roles in movies where I am a superhero. But, um, you know, for 30 something years out of his 49 years of life, he played the biggest fucking superhero in the Power Rangers saga. He's touched millions of people, directly or indirectly. Whether you collect comic books, you like the literature, maybe you like the film, you like the art, you you know the history behind super... uh, you know, super anime, you know, overseas in Japan. I mean, there's just so many different people from so many cultures, right, that all came together to agree that this thing was different and it was amazing and it was awesome because I can't be all things to all people and neither could you. 
but people may be able to resonate to one aspect of it. For example, I love Godzilla. What is the Dragon Zord? It's a fucking robot Godzilla. Period. That's it. Anything above that, it's even better. You know, the Green Ranger is the fucking strongest one. He started in the wrong path. He straightened out. He became the most powerful White Ranger. You know what I'm saying? Like, I relate to that. Just like in Star Wars, I relate to Vader. I see all the good in Vader. And I'm so ashamed of all the bad in Vader. All the shit that he's done in the comics, do not compare to the shit you see in the movie. Is nothing compared to the shit that Vader does in the comics to the point where I'm in denial. I won't read certain comics because I don't want to know how far he went into his destruction. I'm one of those fans that believes in the redemption of Vader. But Vader, to me, represents the balance of life. That you can never let the dark side dictate, you know, your walk in life. Because it, it will taint it forever. I truly, truly believe in that. You could be the biggest superstar celebrity. And you make one mistake and destroy yourself. And all the people that you love and all the people around you. So, needless to say, I'm putting myself in the mentality, in the psychological standpoint... That somebody that's had a a wonderful 30-year career, two beautiful marriages, four beautiful kids. You finally get the money, both from private investors and the artistic community, to fulfill your life's dream. This is your Star Wars. This is your fucking um, Flash Gordon. This is your franchise here. And you fucking... Don't care about materialistic shit because you learned already that there's, there's nothing there to gain. What leads you to the moment of taking your life? The perils, the pitfalls of this fucking entertainment industry. I just had a conversation with a buddy of mine last Friday about it. And he was the first person that I contacted. Now, let me break this down to you. Overseas in Dominican Republic, there are people that are very powerful in music. Matter of fact, all the major labels have a a division stationed in the Caribbean. And these people are all my friends. One is the owner of this network, and he invests in artists. You know, about five of those artists, those are all my friends. They will all love to work with me and sign me to a record label deal. My friend who owns the network, he would love to sign me to the deal because he's had some bad luck with some artists that he tried to help. And believe me, as far as talent, I fucking eclipse all of them. So I can get everything that those artists got, I can get that times 16 and I will get it. I will ask for it and I will get it. And then my other friend, who's a communicator, he's also an executive producer in the program there. He's the gentleman I'm referring to. You know, he contributed a lot to the music movement in the beginning of his career. And now he's finally, you know, has his own show and his own production. And he's able to talk about music. And here I am establishing a friendship with this person. And I'm explaining to this person where I am in life today. You see, I've been famous in a celebrity my whole life. 
and it comes with a lot of cool shit, and it comes with some shit that you got to be mentally strong for, because the temptations and the pitfalls are always there, to go use drugs, to go do some bullshit, and in, in my culture, we call it laying an egg, meaning doing some dumb shit, and lose it all, repetition is the mother's skill, Don Omar was the better artist, Daddy Yankee was the harder working artist, he had the best business savvy, so he did better than Don Omar and Tego. Tego was the illest one lyrically, but he couldn't do it consistently like a Don Omar. And he didn't have the discipline. And he didn't have the business shit in place. And he went to drug use. Don Omar went to drug use, but he's been cleaning himself. You understand me? Daddy Yankee didn't have to worry about that shit. That's why he won that first initial race. I would like to see how they bounce back. But again, as an artist myself, I understand, I get it. I get the fact that people don't understand. Getting an interview is not new to me. Speaking to the public is not new to me. I've done this my entire life. Even if I had a job at the movie theaters or at a McDonald's, people would ask me about my career and I would speak about it freely. I never bottled that shit inside because it destroys you. So what? If I don't have a Lamborghini today, I had a Lamborghini at 17. I had a Lamborghini at 21. I had a Lamborghini at 20, let me see, 26, 27. So, so you get what I'm trying to say? It doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. That fucking illusion that we buy into, that we're influenced by in the beginning, we realize that it's not reality. Life is about the people that you love and the people that love you. Everything else is water under a fucking bridge. It doesn't matter. I've earned the right for the first time in my life. Not that I didn't have it before, but I didn't acknowledge this before. I have the right to say when I finish my new mansion, nobody can come to my house. And I know it sounds fucked up and it's hurtful, but it's the truth. I have family members that are extremely toxic. They do not deserve to come to my peaceful sanctuary. Period. Not once, not ever. I have the right to remove negative people from my life, even if they're related to me. I have the right to say, this is the boundary. This is the line that you cannot cross. I can pray for you. I can help you in any way that I can, except financial. I don't have to bear the burden of financial burden of my family or my relatives or my peers or my friends. It is not my responsibility. If I go on a worldwide tour, I don't have to bring 200 of my childhood friends. I don't need that. I don't have to bring 200 of my relatives. I don't need that. I'm the artist. I got to make sure I'm good and I'm okay. I'm not going to charge $100,000 for a show and spend eighty five pleasing my family and pleasing my friends because that is not reality. That's not life. I didn't become an artist to be the, the, the end-all, be-all to everybody's problems. I, I am perfectly fine with being alone and being by myself with my family, praising God. I have no problems with that. 
I can go on tour and do 25 tour dates and return home to my family and live a normal life. And after my batteries are charged, do it all over again. I don't have to be on a set schedule of, okay, I'm going to do 55 tour dates. And then I'm going to do this. No, now everything can flow from my heart. If I want to travel the world and I have, for example, 55 tour dates, I don't have to do them all in one country or in one part of the world or in one market. I could go where I want to go. I could do five shows in Italy. I could do five shows in France. I could do five shows in Germany. I don't have to do 15 shows in Germany and 20 shows in Italy and 35 shows in France. Fuck that. I'll do 10 shows in France and I'll do five shows in London. And I'll do five shows in Australia and five shows in New Zealand. I don't have to do the things that a record label was like, we got to break the market in and we got to break this song. And man, fuck that shit. I'm not limited anymore. And I do worry about the pitfalls and the downfall and the fucking temptations and all this other shit. I'm free from all of that because I made a decision as a very young child to be free from the environment that life gave to me. I didn't choose to grow up in Harlem and the Bronx. I didn't choose to grow up in New York. I didn't choose to be outside of Puerto Rico or Dominican Republic. I didn't choose to come from a broken family or a broken home or a broken marriage. I'm bigger than a single parent. I'm bigger than poverty. I'm bigger than all the limitations that life has thrown at me. I took responsibility for myself as a very young kid. So all this shit hurts me because of where I am in my career and in life. My family, I've been slowly preparing them already for this new tour. This whole lifetime. Yo, when I go on this tour, it's going to be major. Shit is going to be different. Before, you know, I always travel with my family everywhere I go. You know what my family is saying now? Meaning my wife and my kids. They don't want to go. It looks like for this tour, I'm on my own. And I understand that because they've earned that right to say, you know what, Dad? We had enough of traveling and going all over the world. Go on your tour, do your music, and come home. You see how simple that is? The same things with family and friends, like... I'm going on tour. That's my career. That's my job. I'm going to go perform. And I'll see you when I get back. If I get to see you. Because everybody's living their own life. It's not like I'm going on tour. You got to stop everything you're doing to come be over here. Because I want the comfort of having the people that I want to have around me. It doesn't work like that. I'll give you an example. Even all my assistants are women. They get the job done. The best CEOs in my investments in my companies are all women. So why would I change that for music? Women are much better at so many things other than me having my homeboy 
or my family member, which I know has issues and problems, how could I place them in a position of power, responsibility, and accountability? Because if I tell an employee, you can't drink on the job during one of my performances, maybe before or after, but not while I'm performing, one of my relatives is going to say, oh, but come on, man, we're family. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do what the employees do. Well, you're putting my life in danger. You're jeopardizing my career. If it hurts the brand, it's going to hurt the family. It's going to hurt the company. What do you have in place to suffice that income? Are you going to take care of the family? You understand what I'm saying? So so this is deeper than what it seems to be on the surface. As a car collector, I'm a recovering car collector, and I'm going to always say that to you guys because I can tell you I have years without having the impulse to go to a dealership to buy a car external from me, outside of me, to bring me happiness internally. I've had the money, the opportunity, and I've said, nope, it's not the right time. That's not the right investment. That's not how I should be dealing with my problems because if something good happened in my life, I bought a car, and if something bad happened in my life, I bought a car. I don't solve my problems that way anymore. And it puts everything into perspective. So as a human being, I can afford a new Ferrari, but I prefer the older ones, which are more affordable, Right, I can still enjoy and not put myself in a financial predicament. Right, so where was the fault in my thinking? Well, instead of buying a new one, I can buy two old ones and I can give one to a family member or a friend. Or if I buy a lower uh, status of a brand, I could buy five of, of these. And share them with my family and friends. I don't think that way anymore. Fuck that shit. I want a V12 Ferrari. I buy a V12 Ferrari. It doesn't have to be new. But it has to be mine. And it has to be paid for in cash. And I'm going to work hard towards that goal. And just because I'm an artist. And I'm able to buy one for myself. I don't have to buy one for my brother. Or for my uncle. Or for my aunt. Or for my best friend or for my mentor, or for my mentee. I don't have to do that. This is not the game plan here. I'm an artist. I got to go fucking do 100 shows to be able to afford a car that's $100,000. I have to work one, two years to save that money, patiently, religiously. It is not intended for me to do that five, six years in a row to be able to satisfy what my family feels entitled to when they've done nothing to contribute to that. They're not on tour with me. They're not working, you know, sleepless days and nights. They're not in the fucking studio. When I finish my podcast, I got to go to the studio. I'm running one or two days behind because of everything that's been happening. That's not fucking fair. So why the fuck do I need to let them guilt trip me into doing things that they wouldn't do for themselves and they especially wouldn't do for me. I am finally at the age 
and at the maturity point in my life where I could say, yo, listen, everybody has choices. You choose to live in your neighborhood. You choose to live in your lifestyle. You make all these choices happen. I didn't choose those things for you. If I live in a mansion, I can't feel bad that you don't live in a mansion. If you're not working your ass off like I am to live in this mansion. My failure is not your success. Your success is not my failure. And your failure is not my success either. I'm tired of, of living life feeling bad because let's say I may make, you know, a little bit more than my family members or my peers or my friends. It's not about that. I'm not looking at life through that filter. I think about even the brand of my music. Like in my music videos, you're going to see a Toyota Camry or a Honda Accord. I'm not going to wear name brand clothing. That's not who I am in real life. Neither do I want to sell that image to the world. My fans fuck with me because of the music. They don't rock with me because of anything else. You know, an expensive watch for me is 60 bucks. That's like high-end to me. Like, oh my God, this watch is $60. Do you understand what I'm saying? It all comes back down to the essence. Like, I've already grown and matured. I've learned from every situation, from every standpoint psychologically. This is why I went to Kickstarter and I said, okay, I'm going to launch this Kickstarter. This is what it is. Just like the Green Ranger did. Just like he could teach martial arts and fight real life martial arts and still be available for the franchise, but still share with people that the White Dragon was his own intellectual property, that he doesn't care about, you know, the money and the power and the fame and the status because what he was doing was a work of art for the people that he loved. So as far as I'm concerned, it's go Green Ranger forever. Because in my heart, I'm always going to be the Green Ranger. And even though he's passed away and he's no longer of this realm, his legacy will live forever. And I know for sure we are a legion of Green Rangers all over the fucking universe. And I happen to be the head Green Ranger in charge. I'm going to culminate everything that I've learned. And use that to move forward. I already know I don't want to be on tour for the next 10, 15 years. I think after this cycle run of my music, then it's going to be like an anniversary, you know, five year anniversary, 10 year and like that. That's already my plan with my career. You know, I can already start picking out the fabrics that I want in my new house. The material for the new construction. Um, I don't want to have one huge house. I'd rather have a few smaller homes. Private. Away from the public's eye and society. You know? I already figured out what I want to do with my car collection. In every property, I want to have a few cars. Depending on the, on the demographic of where the house is built. And where I have really nice roads to drive my cars and listen to my music 
and reflect on life. This is not what I do. Music is who I am. You know, my entire life has been about music. Some of the earliest childhood memories that I have is sound, is music. And that's how I was able to learn. So I thank my mother because that was my mother's way of teaching me, was through sound. And that's what I relate to. This is what I'm bringing to the people. And then from audio to visual, to visual art, not only in my merchandise and my clothing, but in doing series and films, which is my original love and passion, now I can bring both together because I'm the artist. I can star in my films and I can release music based on my films. So now what I want to do is create a new avenue where I'm self-contained. All the artistic creative expression is done through audio and visual as well as art. I have the ability and the power to do that now. I think that that's an amazing thing. And then sharing it with the youth so they could do it themselves because there's enough for everybody. The cup is always half full. That's how I've always looked at it in life. All at the same time, I look at these things, you know. The Green Ranger was 49. His career was 30-something years. Two marriages, four kids. I relate to all that. You know, loses his life to suicide after getting his lifetime's dream project funded, not only by his own Kickstarter, but by private entities also getting involved. Like, fuck, man, he, he had it all. And nobody told him that he was winning. Nobody told him, like, you're ahead of the game. Something was missing that it didn't fulfill that empty space that he felt somehow, some way. And it's so fucking sad. And all I could do is learn from it. All I could do is learn from it. Even though I'm still looking forward, I'm like, man, Kanye West, Drake, Bad Bunny, all right, Dembo, that's the new movement, reggaeton, rap in Spanish, rap in English, harmonize, you know, go get the Grammy, go get the fucking... You know, the nominations. Bring that back to Dominican Republic. Bring it back to Puerto Rico or whatever. At the end of the day, I'm still a great student of the game and I'm still learning. You know? Look at everything that has happened in the world of music and entertainment. My music is clean, it's positive overall, no curses, no foul language. You know, giving my life to God. And the music speaks for itself. And I'm content and I'm happy with that. And, and what do I have at the end of all of that? Is being able to give, you know, my wife and my kids and myself. Most importantly, myself. The lifestyle that I've always deserved. Just a peaceful life, you know. Like Jay Leno, work on my cars, collect my cars, and that's it, you know, that's it, man, and I think about a lot of stuff, man, you know, there's like, uh, 
NSX Type S Zero that I'm interested in because I can't find the fucking Type R that's affordable. You know, I saw a few um, R33 Skylines fully built, you know, for like 80000 You know, like, that's, that's me. And it's okay. If I want to drive a Lamborghini, I can rent one. Rent it for the weekend, for a week, rent it for a month, but no more than that. I can see that already. In my retirement, I don't want to build an estate with fucking 45 bedrooms. I don't, I don't need that shit. I don't care about those things. And in a sense, it's so important for me to let the youth know, like, you really got to think about stuff as deep as you can. Just take a few minutes to think about what you really want to do with your life and how you plan to achieve those goals. Because the opportunities are there, man. You just kind of have to do the right thing. You know, don't throw your fucking life away for an illusion that's not reality. You have to dream big because dreams come true. And it's, it's funny that the Green Ranger also wrote poetry. And he also did a lot of personal motivation. Like he told people to write their goals down and things like that. You know? That's amazing, man. That's all amazing, man. So, what would I say to the Green Ranger? If I could say anything to the Green Ranger for the next few minutes. First of all, thank you for everything that you've done for me in my life, in my childhood, my imagination. And for all of the billions and billions of people that you have already influenced and the billions and billions you will influence in the future. Um, I pray that you have found peace. I pray that I can continue to learn from you. You know, it was much more than a role or a character or an element of a creative imagination. You know, I thank you for giving me that sense of strength, that inner belief, that inspiration is worth everything to me. You know, thank you is probably the best thing that I could say. And the only proper thing for me to say, you know, I will definitely always cherish all the good memories, all the good times. I will reflect on this and learn from it for the rest of my life. And I will carry the legacy as high as I possibly can to be my own version of the Green Ranger. Because in my heart, and in my mind, in my spirit, and in my soul, the Green Ranger is still alive and will forever be alive inside of me, in my music, in my art, and everything I do in life. And for that, I thank you and we thank you. You know, 
I still have to pray on it. I have to ask God to give me the wisdom and the clarity to fully understand. I don't fully understand the situation. Um, with time, allowing the situation some more time, we'll all be able to learn and understand a little bit more. But I am grateful. I am grateful because it made such a big difference in my life. And I greatly appreciate it. You know, I'm a kid from Harlem in the Bronx. I grew up with nothing. I come from a small village, broken family, broken home. All I had was a dream. And any source of inspiration that could make me feel like I could conquer the whole world meant the whole universe to me. Because at many moments in my life is all I had. So, goodbye, old friend. Goodbye, but you'll always be here with us in our hearts. I know for all eternity, there's going to be Green Rangers. You know? For all eternity, there's going to be Green Rangers. And White Rangers, too. Eventually, White Rangers. But, um... Besides that, you know, I... I shed some tears yesterday. I know I will shed some tears today. You know, I'm extremely hurt. Not for what I can describe with words, but for what I feel inside. I've had family members pass away and I didn't tear up the same way. And I always wondered what that meant or what that symbolized. And for me, it's the fact that I connected with the Green Ranger. And sometimes people are around you in life and you're never able to make those connections with those virtues or those elements or perspectives that we all have. You know? All I could do is just take it a day at a time, man. But the people that know me understand that this, this is like, this is very hard for me, man. Because in music, I always used it as a reference point. Like, yo, I'm the Green Ranger. It's me. I'm the strongest one. I'm, the, I'm this, I'm that. You know, like, even lyrically, I played a lot into it. You know? And I don't know, it hurts. It hurts. It's something that I'm going to deal with. Like, you know, there's a dream car build that I have. It's a Pagani Huayra. And it's a special edition. It's the same everything as the armor. The car is probably six, seven million dollars. I think the value of that car is going to double in the next year. But, um, it was like a life goal and what it represented to me. Like, you know, I felt like, all right, you know, 
I make it big. This is the car I'm driving to my neighborhood to show people that it could be done, you know? And I don't know how I feel about that goal. Even if I, I'm able to buy that Huayra in the future, you know. It's still part of my private collection, but I don't know. It's just going to take time. You know, like I said, I have a studio session later today. I got some business to address. And I may take a day or two to kind of balance everything out. And all I could do is pray, man, because like I said, you know, I had relatives pass away in a similar fashion. You know, I remember growing up, I had a friend that, you know, I had a friend that that took his life in a similar fashion. And it's hard for me to deal with, with, with that shit to this day. But all I could do is pray. That's all I could do is just pray. Pray for clarity. Pray for wisdom. This is not going to be easy, man. I can't deal with, with death, period. I can't deal with losses, period. But this one hurts in a different way, man. What the fuck is the meaning of life? You know what I'm saying? It puts shit into perspective. Sometimes, and this is not the best example, but it happens in life. You know, you, you realize that what we worry about or what we stress about compared to other people is so insignificant. You know, like, there are people that didn't wake up this morning. There are people that may not get a meal today. And we're over here worried about, well, this car has 700 horsepower. This one only has 580. You get what I'm saying? Like, it just puts a lot of stuff into perspective, man. I want my fans to know that my jewelry is fake. I take pride in that. I'm going to tell them, yo, listen, I paid $500 for this chain. I paid $200 for this watch. It is not real. None of my jewelry is real. Just to show people that it's okay to be yourself. Look at Bad Bunny as an artist. I mean, this kid is just, he's just him. That's it. He's just him. And it's cool to be you, man. It's all right to be you, man. Like I said, I may not sell, you know, a billion records. Maybe God says I'm only going to sell 100 million records. Or even 10 million records or even a million records. But that's okay because that's what God wanted for me. You know? I'm going to finish with this because I don't even want this moment to end. I don't want to let you guys go for today. Um, I was listening to Alan Watts and he was speaking about Buddhism 
And he said that Buddhism is a dialogue between the inner self and the person. And basically, it's not a doctrine. It's just accepting that everything comes from within. Everything is and is not from within. So once you accept that, you reach nirvana. To get to know yourself, you have to be in a quiet space, solitary. A Buddha is somebody that spent a lot of time with themselves to find themselves. Like they go off into the distance to find who they are. And I thank God now looking back these last 20 something years of my life, I found who I am. I know what I stand for. You know, I know what I honor. I know what I respect. And that's all that matters, man. That we all reach that moment where we can find who we truly are inside. Even though we may express it creatively and through art. For me, it's music, audio, visual, you know, everything that's creative. But I'm still learning about this thing we call life. So, I leave you guys all with that. May you have a wonderful day today. May you conquer everything in your path. And may everything that you touch turn into solid gold. I'm going to start preparing myself. Loading my motherboard up so I can do a new album today. And um, I am going to call it um, probably the Green Ranger Volume 2. It is going to be paying homage to the Green Ranger. And everything that I've expressed here, I will do my best to express on this new project that I'm going to work on for today. And that is where my peace is. That's where I'll find my peace. Always remember to dream big because dreams come true. It happened to me, and I know for a fact it's going to happen to you. Thank you all for your time. And I greatly, greatly appreciate that you guys came with me on this journey. See you on the next one. Green Ranger forever, my nigga. Green Ranger forever, my nigga. Go Green Ranger, go.